Welcome to this week's episode of the Commercial Connection Podcast. I am your host, Spencer Taylor with Mill Creek Commercial. And I am joined today by Ken Miller, Vice President of Mergers and Acquisitions. Uh, with, he's with Colliers International. I just met Ken and what a thrill it is. He, he lives in Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana. Just joined Colliers, but has an extensive background on mergers and acquisitions and, and that sort of thing. And Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your day to join us. Well, Sterling, I'm thrilled to, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Spencer, and, uh, Spencer I'm thrilled okay. to be here. And uh, thank you for the invitation. Um, I, so, um, before, we, before we get into what is mergers and acquisitions, Let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, family, pets, interests, that sort of thing. Sure, sure. Um, I'm, I'm probably uh, uh, well known for a couple of things. One is my family, but I'm also Red Sox nation of Louisiana. <laughs> I've been a Red Sox fan since 66. I've actually gone on cruises with the Red Sox. I've played at Fenway Park with them before. Wow. I've been down in spring training before. I was fairly elite baseball player back in high school in those days. Although I never played in the pros, I've, uh, I've uh, used my love of the Red Sox to kind of uh, get me into the family a little bit. So that's number one. But I'm, I'm married to a fantastic woman who's frankly one of the best city planners in America. Her name is Rebecca. And uh, we have an eight-year-old daughter named Rose, who we had a little bit later in life. So altogether, Rebecca and I have five kids from the ages of 38 to eight. Um, I'd be Matthew, Marley, Luke, Alicia, and then Rosie. And we have two beloved dogs. One is a boxer who basically runs the house. Her name is Gracie. And then we have a real irritating little Welch Corgi named Lily, who um, we adore as well. Um, I have been in Lafayette since 1982. I used to be a financial advisor with a very large brokerage uh, business, but in uh, 2011, I, I decided I really wanted to be in mergers and acquisitions. So I sold that practice and then started a firm called Black Rose Advisors uh, with a gentleman here in Lafayette. We've, uh, we've closed over $200 million in transactions since we started, and that would be 18 separate transactions. Mm -hmm. And I think our claim to fame was in the year 2018, the, uh, Associated, uh, the Association for Corporate Growth nominated Black Rose Advisors as dealmaker of the year. Wow. Uh, we ended up coming second, as it turns out. But yes, as my thoroughbred trainer used to tell me, you can't win it if you're not in it. That's so, right. That's right. Uh, Spencer, that's who I am in a nutshell. I started officially with Collier's September 24th of this year. Um, the main reason, one of the main reasons I went there is because of my close friendship with Chuck Berg, hmm. who was basically almost like a partner with me. And uh, Collier's, you know, has such a fantastic brand name. All those fabulous real estate, those commercial real estate agents. I felt like if I could leverage my M&A skills with their real estate skills and let them know that, hey, we can actually pay you if you refer us some business mm -hmm. that maybe that commercial real estate arm of Collier's could be a real nice funnel for some new opportunities that Chuck and I normally would not get. Yeah. Well, can this topic M and a, 
you know, I'm just going to come out and say it. You got to start somewhere. I'm starting at zero. I don't know anything about M&A. Okay. So I know as you talk, I'm going to, I'm going to want to ask questions. Probably a lot of our listeners don't know too much about the M&A world. So give us like yeah. the M&A 101. What, what, it, what is it? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and what it is, is it stands for mergers and acquisitions. For the most part, uh, professionals like me are really into the kind of the, the acquisition side of mergers. Uh, but they do go hand in hand. What it basically is, is there's a lot of businesses in North America that are called middle market businesses. Those are businesses that have net income of around a million dollars, all the way up to 30, 40 million dollars of net income. And invariably, owners of those businesses will get to a point in their professional careers where a new strategy is needed. Uh, sometimes it can be because of retirement, and they may not have kids in the business, but they have a business that's worth money. So they have to hire someone like me to go out and market their business to the appropriate buyers. Sometimes it'll be a young person like you, Spencer, that grows a business really fast, but gets to an inflection point quickly where you know you're over your skis on trying to get this business scaled yeah. or professionalized in the back office. And young people like you will immediately say, hey, I need some private equity help. They'll come out and recruit someone like me to manage that process for yeah. them. And then, then you also have the scenario where, and I have one right now where I have a client that's dying. Uh, he has no uh, uh, succession plan with the business. So I'm actually uh, got him an offer to buy, to sell a hundred percent of his business because he will no longer be there. As a matter of fact, the challenge with that deal is trying to get him to survive long enough to, for me to close the deal. Mm -hmm. uh, but those are three, three really good reasons to sell a business. Number one, you're at retirement. Number two, you're sick. Or number three, you're, you, you're at an inflection point where you need an infusion of capital. You need more equity. And you need more brain power to continue to scale your business. Um, uh, and and th those are really wonderful reasons to hire a professional like me. The, 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 the types of uh, acquisitions that I'm not interested in are an acquisition where a guy has really no reason for selling other than he wants a big payday. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't have a growth strategy. Um, he, 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 he's got a number in his head. And that's the number that he thinks his business is worth, even though he has no idea if the market will get him to that number. Mm -hmm. Those are opportunistic sellers. I'm not interested in, in, in representing them because invariably those deals go sideways. We, we're looking for willing sellers and willing buyers where you sit down across the table from each other and you hammer out a deal. That's really what mergers and acquisition is all about. And it's more about the relationship than the bank account. That, that, is, that is correct. Just imagine if you had a business that was worth $10 million and you knew you needed help to grow it to $50 sure. Million. Sure. Well, you're not going to become a partner with someone that doesn't share your cultures and your, and your, and your values, yeah. someone you can't trust. That, that, that'll get kind of fished out in the process. Mm -hmm. And those people, we just kind of eliminate them. I'm a big believer of representing people that have high character and that are members of the community in good standing, mm -hmm. whether they're married or not is not relevant, but 
you know, it's always nice when you have people that have some sort of Christian values or ju ju judo American values that, that, you know, they're good people down inside. Yeah. People want to buy companies of good people. So this, this is interesting. And, and I know every transaction is probably as unique as the last one. I mean, none of these two have ever probably been the same, right? No, I've never had two deals the same. What, what is the same in, in an acquisition transaction is deal structure. It's always going to have cash at closing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's got to be a cash component. Normally, there's going to be an earn out, meaning there could be additional considerations if the business continues to be successful and the owner achieves certain benchmarks. Yeah. Um, Typically, uh, in a deal, you'll either have that earnout, or sometimes the seller will will uh, will finance ten percent of the transaction with a little seller's note. Yeah. So all deals are going to have all three, two or three of those elements. Uh, um, but as far as how much cash it close or what kind of note or earnout is completely uh, uh, based upon the type of business that it is, and um, what the growth projection is for that business. So I, I'm curious as to what your process is. Let's say, let's say a business owner willing, willing to sell. Um, your, your hot take on his business is it's worth something and somebody would like to buy it. They call you up, the business owner calls you up and, and they have that conversation, the first conversation. Hey, hey, uh, hey Ken, um, I'd like to sell. Um, what do you do? What is your process? What is step one? What you you know maybe step one through five? What, sure, what? and, and there, there is about four or five steps. The first step is um, I, I'll send that business owner a draft of my engagement agreement, which spells out the responsibilities of both parties. Mm -hmm. It'll describe my compensation at closing, and I normally get a small retainer to start. Um, as I'm, I'm be doing some marketing and some traveling probably yeah. uh, to, to help that business owner. So that's the first step is reaching an agreement on an engagement and uh, reaching an agreement on the engagement agreement. And that sometimes might take one or two drafts. Uh, they might redline a few comments. I might push back on a couple of things. But once that is done, the, the really the next step and probably the most crucial step is getting to understand that business. And so the way I do that is I and this is where Collier's is going to be such an asset for me is I've got to create a confidential information memorandum on that business that describes the entire history of the business with, you know, where it started, where it's located, how many employees, uh, what are the product offering and service offerings of that business? What, what, what does the organization look like on a chart? Uh, what are their end markets? Um, do they have some proprietary technology? that is worth some money. Mm -hmm. And so what I'll try to do is I'll get a questionnaire over to that owner with about 50 questions on it. A week later, he'll respond with the answers and some attachments. I then will take that and ship it off to uh, Salt Lake City and to Elizabeth Bellet, who then will help me prepare that confidential information memorandum. Prior to my time at Collier's, I always struggled trying to uh, create a real professionalized digital CIM that I could send out because it's very cumbersome. So now I have this huge multi-billion dollar company with all these resources to help me uh, create a professional digital 
copy of a confidential information memorandum. So that's step two. Okay. Um, step three will be usually, uh, because of my broad experience here and the fact that I've been doing this for almost a decade, I'm going to be reaching out to what I call low-hanging fruit. I've already know probably a thousand firms in America. So I'll probably reach out to 15 or 20 that I know buy companies in, in that sector. Mm -hmm. It might be an industrial company. So I'm going to call people that buy industrial companies. Yeah. If it's an aviation company. I'm going to call people that buy aviation companies, oil and gas. I'm going to call people that buy oil and gas companies. So I'm going to already have a good idea of my favorite 20 or so that I'd like to engage. Once I, once I get feedback from those 20, I'll then know whether or not I have to list that business on the internet to get more traction mm -hmm. or whether my calls already develop traction because what I can't do is I can't manage 50 buyers in a process. I can manage six or seven. So my main job and where I really can't make a mistake is picking the wrong six or seven firms to start having introductory calls because I could put me months behind the, 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 the process if I pick uh, tire kickers yeah. that aren't really serious Maybe they don't even have the money to buy the business, or maybe they have to go out and borrow all the money to buy the business. I really want to work with people that have a couple hundred million dollars in the bank. Mm -hmm. I, I know they can close a deal, and, and I know those who do close deals because I've closed deals with them. So once I determine the marketing uh, process, I will then go to my client and say, listen, I've already developed the five or six uh, first choices, I call mm -hmm. them. And this is what I'm going to need from you. I'm going to need an hour every day this week at 4 p.m. for introductory calls. And if you don't want to do that in the office because you don't want employees to overhear you, then you'll need to be in a secure place where you can talk freely. Yeah. Um, prior to those calls, people have to sign confidentiality agreements. Once they sign the confidentiality agreements, I'll then give them access to the memorandum. I'll do that a couple of days prior or a week prior to the call. That way the firm or the individual has a chance to uh, you know, study the memorandum, uh, have his list of questions ready to go. And these calls are so exciting because the, the owner gets to talk about the one thing he loves to talk about, which is his business and his family. The buyer gets to do a commercial on how, why you, sh you should pick me to buy your business because we're just the hottest new firm in America. And, these are the companies we bought and we're all MBAs from Morton or from, you know, Chicago school of law. They're all these talented friggin' individuals all yeah. over America. And that's when I really get excited. Um, and my goal at the end of the day, the fifth thing is my goal is to get several people to give me an indication of interest at the valuation level. They think the company is worth. Once I go to the client and say, listen, Firm, firm A thinks you're worth 12 million. This is how he's going to pay it to you. Firm B thinks you're worth 11.5 million. This is how he's going to pay it to you. And then firm C thinks you're worth 11 million, for instance. Mm -hmm. I, I will then let the client know what I, who I think is the best match mm -hmm. based upon uh, uh, their skill set, their culture, and their values. Uh, their history, my experiences with them. So I might tell the guy that the firm at 11 million five really is the better offer 
the better group and, uh, and, and, and try to convince them that holding out for that last $500,000 on maybe a group that's a little bit unknown to us, that maybe is going to borrow too much money and, and put too much debt on the company. I, uh, I try to get a, a client to uh, holistically look beyond money uh, when making these important decisions. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what you do every day in your, in your world. Every day, Saturdays and Sundays sometimes also, except when I go to mass. I worked yesterday three hours in the afternoon because I got a letter of intent Saturday morning for $16 million on a local business here in Lafayette where the offer came out of the blue. I thought they were just talking. We weren't yeah. even that stage and it was an incredible offer. My client is so excited. He's already had me on a phone this morning with lawyers <laughs> and CPAs. And, you know, I've got a fee there of, uh, you know, three or $400,000. So, you know, when we do close deals, you know, the, the, there's several zeros that I'm working for there as well. So you mentioned this idea of confidentiality. Why? Why is, why most, it, why is that so critical to, to the process of, of mergers and acquisitions? It, it's the fundamental, it's the number one fundamental uh, virtue in M&A for two reasons, uh, really multiple reasons, but two main reasons. Number one, uh, the client, my client, the seller, um, does not want employees or vendors uh, to know, or clients, employee, clients, and vendors to know that he's thinking about a process because they might, they might leave. Uh, they might think, oh God, he's just selling it for all cash and he's just going to go to the house. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not what the guy's doing at all, but employees aren't sophisticated like the owner. And sometimes they worry for nothing. Yeah. And of course, if you've got a big client like Chevron, uh, you know, and, and you're doing a $50 million project for Chevron in the Black Sea, well, they don't really want to know that you're entering into a transaction at that time. You know, will you be able to complete the, the, the job that you're doing? Mm -hmm. So it's extremely important. And then from the buyer's standpoint, it's very important as well because the buyer needs to know the rules of engagement because if he breaks any of the rules of engagement, uh, you know, I, I'm going to hold them to it and, yeah. and we're going to put, we're going to put their feet to the fire, but also they, they're going to, they own other businesses and they probably own other businesses that could very well be competitors of the business that they're trying to buy because they're trying to scale that business. So we can't have the two competitors know what's going on till the appropriate time. Those are the, the it's the bedrock. I was going to say the mill rock, just to uh, uh, send you a little bite, but it's the bedrock of everything that I do. Yeah. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes, you know, cause there's not a lot of business out there that deals in confidentiality, you know, doctors, client, patient confidentiality, you know, lawyers. Yep. What else? I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything else that deals in confidentiality. Yeah, no businesses are, you wouldn't, and, and it's kind of funny, you're hearing more about these non-disclosure agreements uh, in the news all the time because of some of the scandals that happened at NBC with mm -hmm. some of the sexual harassment. All these employees are under non-disclosure agreements when they get hired. So they can't put, they can't, they can't put all their dirty laundry on the street, even if they should, Yeah. to, to, to kind of be a whistleblower, but their hands are tied. So it's uh, in all forms of business, I understand it. Some people in the White House have to sign non-disclosure agreements uh, so that, uh, so that uh, 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 the boss is protected from leaks and things like that. I never thought of that myself. Yeah. But, you know, right now there's so much going on that it's impossible to ignore. 
So what, um, if, if uh, you, are, so you have a team working for you in, 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 in M&A. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your team. What's the well, I really have. I, I'm really a, I, at this point, we're a two man wrecking crew. <laughs> but then again, then I get to add Salt Lake City. Yeah. And there's three or four people there that are behind the scenes. But my partner, really, she, she calls herself my business development executive. She's my research guru. She's my technology guru. She's pretty much my everything is a young African-American girl named Leary Jones, who's graduating from college in December. She'll start full-time then. She's been with me two years, and she's just one of those um, dynamic and brilliant young ladies who's also served the National Guard, so mm -hmm. she's already served her country. Uh, you can tell she was raised the right way, and we're kind of a unique team. We walk in, there's me, the 62-year-old half-Hispanic guy, and this young African-American girl, and we're probably an odd couple, but it just works for me. Uh, she does all the dirty work behind the scenes that I'm no good at. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I, my, I'm a relationship guy and I'm a money guy, um, but I'm, I can get over my skis. If, as you could see, just being able to get the Zoom meeting to work <laughs> properly today. I, I worked on it for an hour before you even were on the screen and I still couldn't unmute the damn thing, but I got it. But I, but I got, I got it at the last minute. So, and then, and as I mentioned to you, Chuck Berg and John Bushnell of Salt Lake City are gentlemen that I look forward to working with. Chuck and I have a closing. I have a deal that's already going to be closing around Christmas. Uh, John and I have a deal right now that could be under LOI by the end of the week. So already there's activity with the Colliers Group. Uh, there's a young man in Houston named Paul Dominique who's a realtor there, is from Lafayette, went to high school with my, with my kids, and uh, he's going to be a resource uh, for me as well. So, and I've got attorneys and CPAs that feed me deals. Yeah. I'm, I'm fairly high profile in Lafayette. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, kind of, you know, I'm kind of the man in town at this point. Um, you know, I'm not going to compete with the Blackstones and the Carlisles and the Goldman Sachs or anything like that. But on middle market business, again, between 1 million of net profit and 30, 40 million net profit, I'm pretty dominant in this area. One quick question. What advice would you give someone entering or, or has a desire to enter the M&A business? What, 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 what one or two nuggets would you leave with them as we wrap up our show here? I think it would be important for them to kind of research their area, Google within a hundred miles of where they live and find out if there's an existing firm mm -hmm. um, that is doing either business brokerage work or investment banking. Yeah. That would be the first thing I would do is research that. Excuse me for a minute. I took some medicine. I think the second thing would be to go have an interview with those people, find out what their day, what their day-to-day -day work is, how they work, how do they get clients? Yeah. Obviously, the the phone has to ring. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to know how to use the internet at a very high level, because a lot of times in this in this business, it's a it's kind of a process. 
-hmm. So really being able to understand how that process works from, um, you know, the first contact you might have with a potential client to your first contact with a potential buyer. How do you handle that? How is that done? You would need to certainly want to have a little bit of a mentorship with someone. Sure, sure, sure. And, and then you could go out on your own. Um, they could they could call me at any time uh, at Ken Miller here in Lafayette, Louisiana. I'd be happy to give anyone a little advice. Awesome. Uh, obviously, they could contact Blake Rigby, the CEO at Collier's. He would love to talk to anybody who was interested in, in being an M&A advisor. But you have to do your homework. And I think to do it alone uh, with the highly competitive field that this is in would be really tough unless you're just extremely gifted or you just got the right connections. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of old fashioned. I kind of, I'm kind of a grinder. Yeah. I just believe in waking up every day, you know, going to the office every day, repeating the process. Yeah. And after a while, you just don't, you just, you just know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, Ken, thank you so much for joining us on the show. If anyone would like to reach out to you, what's a good phone number and maybe a good email that they could, that they could yeah. uh, use? So a good email would be ken.colliers at colliers. Excuse me, ken.miller at colliers.com. And my only phone number is 337-298-7767. Wonderful. Ken, thanks again so much. This has been very insightful. And to all of our podcast listeners, thank you for joining us. And until next time, have a great day. Spencer, fantastic. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.